Good evening and welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by the Freedom's Path Recovery Society. We are not affiliated with any 12-step fellowship, nor do we wish to propose only one solution. We understand how different solutions can greatly increase an individual's chance of survival. We hope to illuminate some of the recovery process by sharing as many human stories as we can. Why, you might ask, to show that we can and do build stable lives from a former state of chaos, desperation, and hopelessness. Our stories become our strength. Please remember that any and all opinions shared and heard are those of the individuals and not a reflection of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other entity. So regardless of how crappy or wonderful our opinions might be to you, they still remain opinions, nothing more. You might hear swearing adult themes and situations as well as the tragedies humans face and walk through every day. It is not suitable for children unless they are accompanied by a parent or guardian or have the explicit permission of those individuals. All right, tonight's guest is an incredibly special human to me. She has been a light inside my darkness for 18 years. She believed in me when I was literally at my worst and kept being there for me when I got even worse than that. Hello, Heather. It is such an honor to have you here. It's such an honor to be asked. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for coming. And that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. That's true. Like I could have gone like forever. Like, it would have been like really <laughs> gushy and then everybody would be like, oh, I don't want to listen anymore. Man. <laughs> then I'd be I, crying. Yeah. We'd both be crying. Yeah. So tell us about yourself. Um, I am originally from Yellowknife. I ended up in Alberta on my own. My family traveled a lot. My dad worked for the Coast Guard. Mm -hmm. When I was 18, I bought a plane ticket to Banff. And and then from there, I moved to Calgary and met you probably within the first year I moved here. Oh, yeah. It was within a year, right? Yeah, because I moved to Calgary when I was 19 and I met you when I was 20. Wow. Yeah. I don't want to age myself so i'm not going to <laughs> yeah i'm not I'm, I'm okay with aging myself it's fine yeah. they're years of experience they make you wiser that's that's true that's a good point yeah. yeah yeah and since then um i put myself through university waitressing um i waitressed for most of my university at diner deluxe which was originally owned by albert and Dwayne ennis they were amazing um they helped me put myself through university and then i started working in oil and gas in 2006 um, and I am now a mineral negotiator for an oil and gas company, or also known as Landman, commonly mm -hmm. in Calgary. And I have been here probably as long as I've been anywhere else in my life. Yeah. And I, I like Calgary. I didn't know if I'd ever be one to settle down because mm -hmm. my family moved so much. But once I got here and laid down roots, I just love the place. Mm. Nowhere else I'd want to be because cool. then I wouldn't be able to hang out and go for walks with you. Exactly. And that would be awful. Awful for anyone who doesn't get the chance to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's You're missing out. Well, and especially with my annoying dogs, you put up with quite a lot. Oh, come on. I like, I like, I love seeing you and your dogs are great. So <laughs> they're, they're holy terrors the other day, but <laughs> like they were going savage. Like the one little guy, it's always a little one too, yeah. right? The little guy, there's a big, what is that? Like a Rottweiler breed? He's a Rottweiler Doberman. Doberman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I figured it was something like that. Because he looks like a Rottweiler, but he's got the leanness of like a Doberman almost. But his head's like a Rottweiler's. One of those big bricks. Like, yeah. <laughs> but the little guy's like just going nuts every time he sees a new dog, right? Yeah, yeah that's Sam. She's a little bit of a ha handful, but we've yeah. only had her since April. So it's time to work on stuff. Steve yeah. is great. We've had him for a few years. His oh, head yeah, is as hard head. as a brick too. Yeah. Um, I've been clocked by him quite a few times because... <laughs> 
He seems to like to try and swing his head up to see mm-hmm. you when you're behind him and doesn't realize that physically you can't actually do that without connecting with my skull. Mm-hmm. But I still love him. Yeah, he's pretty lovable though. Yeah, and then I've got Jackson, who's my oldest. Mm. He's been around forever. My, Good old Jackson. My baby seal. Your baby seal? Why do you call him a baby seal? Because when he has his ears back with his black eyes yeah. and his like all his white fur around his face, he looks like a baby seal. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you got me like thinking about baby seals again. You remember what happened the last time I had to think about baby seals? I started crying and got really mad. During a <laughs> podcast? Yeah, well, a little bit. Part, <laughs> partly during and then partly when I got home. Because it was like the, 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 our guest was, she worked with, um, she works with, jeez, uh, man, I can't, Sea Shepherd, thank you. Like brain dumb. Um, but she worked with Sea Shepherd. So the week before, I was watching like the history of Sea Shepherd and thinking, Holy crap, like these people were intense, man. But of course, when you're watching the documentary, you have to watch what happens, what they do, what the what the sealers and stuff do to these animals. Oh, I, I know. I, I I still as soon as you said seal, that's why I was like, Oh my god, don't do it. Don't do it, brain. Leave it alone. I can't handle it. Often I'll find people post things on Facebook and I just scroll through and all of a sudden something like someone had posted it was a couple of wolves and there was like a whole bunch of bears that were like tearing one of the wolves apart mm-hmm. while the other one was trying to like save it. Mm-hmm. And it just flashed up and I instantly went, not following you anymore because mm-hmm. I can't, that stuff just drives me insane. It mm-hmm. makes me so sad. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to watch it every once in a while, but I'll tell you if there's a movie with a person that dies, probably not going to cry. If there's a dog <laughs> or any other animal that's mm-hmm. somewhat cute and not, you know, a giant shark, then I'll probably cry if it mm-hmm. dies. Yeah. But if it was a nice shark, I'd probably cry if it died too. So. Yeah. Well, sharks are just sharks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're only scary because we don't have teeth like that. <laughs> and we can't swim as good. No, and movies make it look like they all want to eat us. Yeah, so. totally, which is like redonkulous. <laughs> it's like trying to say that the uh, like the orca whales actually will bite us and eat us. I don't, I, from my understanding, there is like literally zero reported cases of a orca whale attacking a human. Maybe Maybe it's different if you go into the realm of like, humans who are trying to kill orcas then orcas might fight back i don't know but i wouldn't blame that no like they look like a friendly bunch though they do they're Mm -hmm. always like like making noises i can't even do my whale noise (laughs) i'm just glad that we got that on podcast are you glad that that was recorded (laughs) yeah for sure i'll just go back and listen to that part over and over i'll make it my ringtone (laughs) oh my god you gotta make it your ringtone (laughs) that's awesome so you said you worked your way through school. Um, what what did you take in school? Like, and, and how hard was that? Because you were literally by yourself. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, I came out here alone mm-hmm. and um, I didn't have any financial support. Student loans didn't really work. Um, I signed up for university. I had originally wanted to just sign straight into the business school. Mm-hmm. But I missed the deadline. So I signed in general and then in my third year transferred to business. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really challenging. Um, I was lucky that I had the job I had because Albert and Dwayne treated me very well when it came to scheduling and working around school. And uh, there's another owner um, and he was, his daughter was in university and he was kind of like the silent partner. Mm -hmm. And on my very first semester, I screwed up. I didn't know that the R, there was a Friday tutorial, like I just signed up for the class and found out and it was Mm -hmm. calculus, which was like mind boggling for me. So I needed the tutorials. Yeah. And uh, I worked until 2.30 on Fridays and I worked on Edmonton Trail and like 11th Ave. Mm -hmm. 
uh, 7th Ave and the university, I didn't have a car. So Glenn would come every Friday at two, have lunch and drive me to school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They treated me really well. Um, it was a struggle to pull off school while working. The first couple of years I went to school year round. Mm -hmm. So I did, um, uh, fall, winter, spring, summer, and then I could get 10 credits in a year. God, that's ugly. <laughs> it, it was. Yeah. It was for sure ugly. Yeah. Um, and then I transferred into the business school in my third year, which was a struggle. Mm -hmm. um, Is that the Hisk Hiskane School Hiskane, of Business? Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't the issue with Hiskane, but the program per se, because mm -hmm. um, as a landman, the educational background that we have is a, it's a Bachelor of Commerce in mm -hmm. Petroleum Land Management. We only offer it here in Calgary. There's no really need no. for that anywhere else in Canada. Um, and at the time, the program was very, very popular. Um, it was, you know, 2005-ish when everything was mm -hmm. going great. And there was lots of jobs and people were making lots of money. And so there was a wait list for the class when mm -hmm. I transferred. And um, the classes don't start till the second semester of your third year. So I was doing the general business course as my mm -hmm. first semester. And I met um, my friend, Sean Cooper. And uh, we were in groups together in classes. And he came one day and he said, oh, I got in because he was on the wait list too. Mm -hmm. I said, that's amazing. I said, when did you put your name on the wait list? And he said, September. And I put my name on the wait list in July. So I'm like, well, how did you get in? And I didn't. Like, I thought that was really strange. And uh, it turns out that I had been chosen to be skipped over because the person that ran the program didn't believe I was a serious enough student mm. uh, because I went to school year round. So he deemed, because I never took more than three classes a semester, that I wasn't a serious mm. enough student to be in the program. Um, he made the mistake of putting that in writing in some way. He sent it to me in an email. Mm -hmm. And I went to the dean and, and I got it overturned. Mm -hmm. And they forced them to let me in the class. Mm -hmm. And it was the biggest year they ever had. Uh, we had 37 students in the class that year. And I, I always had set really high goals for myself in school. Mm -hmm. I felt like I always had something to prove. You know, growing up, the nicknames were always like Blondie and all these nicknames and jokes about me not being intelligent. Mm -hmm. So when I went to university, I really had a lot to prove and I was paying for it and paying every day out of my tips. Mm -hmm. And I, I just really wanted to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. And by the end of my four-year term, the third year and fourth year, I did, um, I worked in the summers, mm -hmm. um, but I also did like block week courses. In my last year, I did six classes a semester so I could finish and graduate with my class. Wow. And I ended up graduating top of my class. I took the silver medallion. I was on the dean's list. I had gotten like seven different scholarships mm -hmm. throughout the term. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a great moment for me, especially knowing that I had been purposely. Oh, I, I could have if I hadn't have caught on and figured out what was happening, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have had the opportunity. I was purposely overlooked. And then in the end, I, I took the medallion for the highest grades in the class. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Yeah, I was really proud of myself. I bet. Yeah. And it was great. You know, like once you finish school, you realized I have so much time mm -hmm. because you don't realize how much of a, you don't have a life. And I always said to my friends after, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know how I would have fit it all in. They said, well, you didn't. We never saw you. Mm -hmm. Like you worked and studied and worked and studied. And, uh, and then of course the first thing I did when I graduated, I was like, oh, I need to do something very adult. So I bought a condo that mm -hmm. was 2007. 
<laughs> and a year and a bit later, it was wasn't worth a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I adjusted well to having a full time job and having a social life again. Mm-hmm. But I did keep waitressing for a little while because at the first in the beginning of my career, I did contracts. Mm-hmm. So I was so used to being working with people all the time, like talking to people, being very social. Mm-hmm. So for the first two years, three years, I worked part time at the diner as well, just one shift mm-hmm. a week, so I could still have that social side of my um, personality and then eventually I got too busy and I was negotiating and my job became very much working with people Mm -hmm. and very social and I didn't need the the extra stimulation Mm -hmm. so yeah it was it was really nice well I think it would have been hard to to stay away from waitressing anyway you've been doing it since how how old were you when you started Oh, I was. I started when I was eighteen. When 18. I was at the Banff Springs. Yeah. Um, and waitressing is a great way to put yourself through school. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's if you're a social person, it's, and you can remember, you know, six or seven things at once, mm-hmm. you can do quite well at it. Yeah, and it's quite incredible. Like as a person who's known you almost since you've been in Calgary, like um, to to know that you mentioned you didn't have a car. Well, when I met you, you were not necessarily comfortable with driving right? Like you had a, there was a little bit of a block there because of some other stuff that had happened, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then you weren't comfortable. I'm not going to say you were scared because that's not what I remember. What I remember is that there was something that was keeping you from, from driving, right? There was a, and now she drives a jacked up Jeep, <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's like, and, and I remember it because of course, like that was right away. Right. And of course I remember it because I had to carry her a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have a car either. I know. We walked everywhere. I know we did. We walked everywhere. And yeah. then you carried me home from the stampede that night. You did. Yeah. <laughs> that was the that was the last time I've ever been to the stampede. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, no, I've been. I've had to go yeah. for work. But yeah. that's the last time I got drunk at the stampede. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the last time I got drunk at the stampede too. Well we actually I got we got drunk after the stampede, I think. Didn't we? Didn't we go to a we went to a bar on 8th Ave, I think. Oh, probably. It was probably the Baron Kilt. That's the one. Yep. Yeah. And that then makes we sense. got, I, I believe, was it the Baron Kilt? It was one of those. And I I thought we almost got kicked out. That would be common for yeah. us. We almost got kicked out of a few bars. A couple places, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. New Year's. Oh, God, eh? New, yeah. Oh, my goodness. New Year's, man. <laughs> we go, that's where we drank there all the time, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's just it was, someone that wanted to pick a fight that night and pick yeah. the biggest guy in the room. I know, for some reason. And it happened to be me. And back then, I was in good shape, too. Like You're still in good shape, but back uh, then, you were pretty ripped. Yeah. yeah, I was like in much better shape back then. <laughs> I was in such good shape back then, I carried her up Center Street from downtown. Yeah. yeah. And I was drunk, because she couldn't walk. She was like... I mean, that was a tough night for both of us and, until we got <laughs> it wasn't home. It so rough for me once, once you carried me. Yeah, once I started carrying you, all bets are off. You're fine. <laughs> She's like, it was so nice. I didn't even have to walk home. Did you get a cab? No, Dave carried me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So you mentioned that, um, <clears throat> oh my goodness, I just lost my train of thought. I really do appreciate this brain I have um, <laughs> most of the time. It works its wonders. Yeah, it does have its like days where it actually works. I did take some notes. And the reason I took notes is not because I don't know Heather. It's because I know way too much about Heather that I don't know where to start and where to stop and and not. So how did you, before we move too far ahead, how did you come to have Steve and Samantha? 
Uh, they were fosters yeah. that I failed with. Um, I had originally... That you failed with? Yes, I, I, I oh. failed because instead of fostering them for someone else, I kept them. Because <laughs> um, I had had... Jackson was a rescue. Mm-hmm. And uh, after I got him... After about a year of having him, I started wanting to foster to help out other mm-hmm. um, dogs. And so I'd done that for years and years. You know, taking breaks here and there when things were too mm-hmm. busy to have extra animals. Uh, I got to have a lot of awesome dogs in my home and a lot of crazy dogs in my home. Jackson got socialized a lot faster mm-hmm. than he would have. And um, I'd always just said, you know, I was mainly single for most of that time period. And I'm like, I don't have, I don't have the resources to have two dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I had two dogs, I wouldn't be able to foster because three is a lot for yeah. one person. And then I started dating my current boyfriend, Mike, and he had previously with his ex-wife had a um, Rottweiler cross Hmm. that he had loved. And uh, when Steve showed up on the fosters, his name wasn't Steve. Um, His previous owners called him Flacco. And when he showed up on the list, I just knew it was exactly the kind of dog that Hmm. Mike had always wanted. And he was very big and they don't tend to foster dogs that large. Hmm. So when I sent them a note just saying, do you have a foster for him yet? They said, nope. Nope, he's a bigger, harder dog to place, and his owners were going through a divorce, hmm. so um, they had given him up, and usually they go to a shelter, like the, not the shelter, a shelter, the almost home, which is hmm. where Positive Match brings their dogs in, they get their medical checks, yeah. they kind of get behavioral tests and stuff, and then fosters will pick them up for there, but um, Steve came right to my home, and Steve was sick, he had uh, ehrlichiosis, which is a tick-borne illness, and he'd had it in the system for a long time, so he had a lot of medical issues. So mm. we fostered him as a medical foster from September until March or April of that year. And then they finally cleared him. They said, you know, we still have to do one more test in about three months, mm-hmm. but we think he's cleared now medically. They'd, they'd gotten the ehrlichiosis in check, and we adopted him with um, a clause that we got to bring him back in for final testing mm-hmm. in three months and they would pay for it. And if he was still sick, they would continue to pay for his medical care, which mm-hmm. was great. And uh, we just loved him. He was great right away. He's always been a really well-behaved dog. He's great off leash. We'd bring him camping and he would just stick close to home. Mm-hmm. We never had to worry. Um, he just He's a very loving dog. And then in the September, we'd gone back in the summer and had his testing done. And we hadn't got the results yet from the, the double check test. Mm. And he started getting sick. And I knew right away something was up because um, my dogs can't be free fed. They are gorgers. You put food in front of them and it's like, how fast can they make that food go away? Mm-hmm. And he wasn't really eating and he was lethargic and he was like, he was. Like his eyes were oozing and there was just a bunch of stuff going on. So I took him to the vet and I said, I haven't got the test results. Like, is there a chance he still has it? Is that why he's sick? And they said, well, no, the test results came back negative. Um, and they brought him in for an ultrasound and stuff. They wanted me to keep him in the hospital the first day I brought him in, but I knew I couldn't leave him in there. Mm-hmm. He would just be miserable. So they gave him fluids and a bunch of meds and we took him home and I brought him back the next day and they did... Um, an ultrasound on him and we came in and they said yeah, I have really bad news uh, it looks like he has a tumor the size of a grapefruit on his pancreas mm-hmm. and that his liver is full of lesions 
and he's probably not going to live very much longer. Mm. And there wasn't really anything we could do about it. I was devastated. I just bawled my eyes out in the vet. Mike was devastated. And we just said, well, I said, is it, are we punishing him? Like, are we torturing him, keeping him around? She said, well, if he's not eating, he's in pain and suffering. Mm. I said, well, can we just take him home for the weekend then? Like, I just want to be able to say goodbye. I want to give mm. our friends an opportunity to come by and say goodbye. Mm. And we brought him home. And it was a really tough weekend. But by the Sunday, he kind of woke me up in the morning and he was eating a little bit. And then by Monday, we were supposed to put him down. And he woke me up by jumping up on the side of the bed to wake me up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, this isn't, this isn't right. And he, was, and he started eating again. So I called him and I said, I don't know if we made a mistake. Like, he seems fine now. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, no, like dogs often rally. I said, you know, we figured he'd had a couple of weeks. He might have rallied. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you know, he'll stop eating again and we'll have to put him down. And that was over a year ago. Nice. Yeah. And he's never stopped eating since. And he's, I mean, you've seen him. He's beautiful. He's yeah. happy. He's healthy. And I'm just so glad that we decided to wait. Mm-hmm. And I, I know, I don't really know. He may still be sick inside. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. But we really just want to just keep treating him every day. Like, you know, it's our last day with him and enjoy every moment we have. And if he lives for another five or six years, it just meant that we thought more every day about how val- valuable he was to us and how much we cared about him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no harm. And yeah, and I'm just happy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love him. I'm, yeah. He's a good that's dog. Awesome. And then we got Sam, which is like a mini me version of him. <laughs> She does. She literally looks like a little mini version of him. And they, the two of them love each other. Yeah. Like Jackson kind of does his own thing. He's always been a bit of a loner, but yeah. uh, like they'll cuddle together. They play mm. together. She's just the boss. <laughs> she, yeah, definitely it used to be like Mike always joked. He's the alpha, then Steve, then me, then Jackson. So now it's Mike, Sam, Steve, then me, then Jackson. <laughs> so, <laughs> and some days he doesn't know if Jackson is more of an alpha than me, but Someone's got to be the the soft parent. Someone's got to be the softy. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be a soft touch somewhere. Yeah. So we haven't fostered since we've adopted Sam because, mm-hmm. you know, three dogs is a lot. It's a lot. Um, but we might, we might again just do more temp fostering and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, it's a great organization. I've always enjoyed being able to help them. They and what's have the tons name of, the of volunteers. It's Positive Match. Okay. Yeah. They have tons of volunteers all over the city that take care of the dogs and they have some great like animal hospitals that, um, help them and give them better rates on services and mm-hmm. take care of all the dogs. And it's been awesome. I wouldn't have had either of those two dogs if it hadn't been for Positive Match. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I know fostering has been important to you for a long time. So yeah, it's nice to, to be able to help, you know, and some of these mm-hmm. dogs, they just need somewhere to go for a little while until they can find their perfect home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea of them staying in like the almost home is, is more for temporary the idea of them yeah. staying in a place like that long term, it's not good for them. It's mm-hmm. not good for their personalities. Um, when you have them in the homes, they get to kind of be uncomfortable and their little personalities come out. And then you get to meet the people that are going to adopt them and they get to meet them and their kids and their other pets meet them. And everyone gets a chance to see how everyone interacts before they do an adoption. Yeah. Because they don't want people to adopt them and then return them. But yeah. they do say if you adopt and it doesn't work out, just bring them back mm-hmm. and we'll find another home for them. Yeah. So Sam was a return. She'd been with the family for a year and they had, um, they had returned her because 
as you saw, she's a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. So uh, it hadn't worked out as well for them with her reactivity. She kind of barks a lot at people coming in the house and they had young kids. So that's one of the things that we have to work on. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, they brought her back because that's part of the contract. And then we got to adopt her. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. And now she'll probably get some training and yes, and who knows, maybe get some of that stuff like re realigned or whatever. She's smart. She yeah. catches on to things real fast. She's just um, a little bit of a spaz. So. Yeah, well, you know, but you know what some people think, and I, I'm guilty of it as well, is that when you, um, instead of teaching the animals, we just respond as though they're humans, right? Like, and like one of the things about that that woke me up was my little brother Nathan when he when he got his dog, the big Sammy, the Malamute that he took from Greg, um, and then Delilah, the res dog that they got. They adopted as well, mm -hmm. or rescued, I should say. Um, but the, it was instantly, I was instantly aware of someone who knows how to handle a dog versus a person, right? Because he doesn't treat them like people. They're dogs. And he talks to them like dogs, and he makes sure that they understand like dogs. Not because he's a jerk, but because he understands that dogs like discipline. Yep. Just like people do. Like They like their boundaries. They like to, they like to know what they can and can't do. Right, doesn't mean they're not going to do the the wrong thing sometimes, but then again, so do people, and most of us know better, <laughs> <laughs> and we do it anyway. Of course, right? Like because it's fun. <laughs> we we have plausible deniability. Yeah. I, how could I have possibly have known that that was illegal? Because <laughs> it's illegal. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but we didn't know that because we'd never done it before. <laughs> right. And you know, we wouldn't have known it was illegal unless we got caught. <laughs> That's right. The only way we're going to find out. And that's the way the dogs find out sometimes, right? It's unfortunate, but I, I think there is a responsibility for pet owners. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm guilty as charged. I've been a terrible cat owner. <laughs> terrible. Like, I love my cat, but I have not always been the most disciplinary. And, like, I don't kick him off the counters and do stuff that annoys Heather. Like, she gets mad when he gets on the counters. And, and I'm like, she goes, he's off the counter. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> but that stuff just doesn't bug me. Right. But I understand like that's probably the more healthy perspective is to be like cats shouldn't be on the counters. That's probably healthier. hundred um, percent. But when I was alone with Floyd uh, and it was just him and me and my back was broken and I was in pain every day, he was listening to me. Right. Like it wasn't it wasn't like he was judging me and saying, OK, I'm not going to listen to you until you like do things the way I want you to. <laughs> Right. I will listen to you while you lay there on that couch. <laughs> mm -hmm, totally. And I mean, that's what, you know, but still, I'm sure I spoiled him. I'm sure I did. Right. Oh, and Floyd's quite a handful on his own. Isn't he? Oh, yeah. I start when he come near me. I'm like, I don't trust this. I'm pretty sure he's going to bite me. <laughs> oh, yeah. He bit me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you were you were one of the, pe the people that came to each one of my surgeries, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You came to the hospital each time. That's three visits you had to make. Yeah. But the first one was rough to see yeah. the second one seeing you after that surgery it was like night and day yeah the first one was hard eh? oh yeah yeah, yeah. but you had a big surgery that yeah. day and yeah. you had a lot of drugs and you oh, just my. had your frosties and <laughs> dude frosty saved my life yeah <laughs> she brought me a frosty every, after every surgery and then uh someone else brought me starbucks did you bring me starbucks too no just frosties just frosties yeah and then 
her and her sister decorated my beard and my hair with mm-hmm. flowers the second time. It's actually <laughs> on my phone. Your contact is that picture. Is it? Yeah. Sweet. I love that picture. <laughs> it makes me happy. Even though I recognize in the picture, I'm high as fuck. Like, I mean, <laughs> from the from the post-op drugs, right? Like, I'm still coming down from the operation. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> Please put things in my beard. Put things in my beard. Make me feel like a person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't be embarrassed at all by this picture. No, later. actually, I love it. I love it. We had a good time. That was fun. Uh, and I was not enjoying that post-surgery. That surgery was like, that was only like th- uh, three and a half weeks after my first one. And so I was not happy. Like it was because at that time the cage had pinched my spinal cord. So the caging around the spine and shit. Yeah. Anyway, things went awry. Yeah. Well, I still remember when I, I came and saw you and that had happened and you were having all that nerve pain. Mm-hmm. And when you said to me, like, I don't know if I can handle this. This has got to be bad. Mm-hmm. Like you've put up with a lot of pain in your life. But when you looked at me and said, I don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, something is wrong. And then mm-hmm. you went on that Tuesday and yeah. you got your x-ray and found out what it was. Yeah. And yeah. And I was like, thank God. Yeah. Like, thank God that there was something they could do to fix it. Because I can't even imagine how much pain you must have been in to say that. It was so bad that week, like that, that whole week leading into my surgery, that second one, it was like, it was so bad that my surgeon who put me off for a year the first time, only because I was able to walk like that. They have to triage it. I totally get it. We have a free system, right? So, mm-hmm. And I, so I'm not complaining about that. What, what I'm getting at is this time um, when he saw the x-rays, he said, do you want me to take you to the hospital now <laughs> or can you get a ride in like in two days? And I said, I could do two days. <laughs> I was like, I'll do two days because I'm not ready to go to the hospital. <laughs> but I'm in his office and he's never seen me cry. And I've been in a lot of pain that whole year, right? And he's never seen my eyes water or me tear up. So like you were saying. I knew it was serious when yeah. he said that to me. And I was like, all right, like something's got to give. Something's mm-hmm. got to change. Something's got to be fixable. Yeah, I was hoping, right? Because I mean, it was so bad the day before the surgery. Like I almost like, and this is going to be embarrassing to say, but whatever. I've done a lot of embarrassing things. Um, this is just one of them. <laughs> See, I was <laughs> worried this... that I would say something embarrassing on the show, but we'll start with you. Yeah, let me go first, and then you can just like fill the space. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but um, it was like the first time in my life when I was sober, and I honestly thought, I don't care if I poop myself. I was like, I don't care. I can't move. Like, I, it hurts so bad to walk. So the, I, was, I crawled to the bathroom to go to the bathroom. Like, that's how much pain it was that week where I couldn't even barely. I was like, if I can't crawl, I guess I'm just going to crap on my couch because I, I was in so much bloody pain. Like, I understand why um, it seems very unhealthy whenever someone comes into someone's, like, area where they've been sick and or the, where they've been, like, stuck because it's like, yeah, you're coming into a place where that person wasn't able to go to the bathroom, right? Because I've been in, like... I've been a social worker for a long time and I've been to lots of houses and lots of different situations and different buildings where there's scents and stuff like that. Um, you can always tell when someone's been sick or hurting yep. when you walk in because of those natural smells that you can't take care of, right? So anyway, I don't know how we got on that topic. How do we start talking about me? We're talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, an, it's an easy transition though when we're talking. Yeah, I guess it is. We talk a lot, so. Yeah. And I'll also like to point out um, the one the one wrong that you've done to me in our life is you stole my birthday. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I totally stole your birthday. You sobered up on my birthday, so yeah. now we share that birthday. 
Well, and we shared that birthday with my grandpa's the day he passed away, right? Because it was all the same day. Wow. Yeah. And I, I mean, through the years, it's nice that we share a birthday because that's one way that I can remember birthdays. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I know when Heather's birthday is. It's <laughs> August 22nd. Just like I know when my Heather's birthday is. It's May 23rd, right? I remember those things for different reasons, but yours, um, because it was just so, I don't know, it was just kind of so cool that it was on your birthday, right? Like it was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I always thought it was kind of almost kismet, you know, that mm-hmm. it happened on that same day because mm-hmm. now we get to share that forever. I know. And so every year we get a like cake pop from Starbucks and mm-hmm. have a coffee and because, I mean, it is important, right? And your birthday is important to me for lots of reasons. But like, I mean, like I said in the intro when I meant it, like when you have, when you come across people in your life that literally are only light, like only light. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to tell anybody that she's perfect. It's no, not what I'm saying. Very, okay? very much not. Trust me. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but there are people who are anything but perfect and completely full of light, right? That come into your life. And for me, part of having you here was just because of how important you've been to my recovery, but also what I know you've been through, right? And one of the other things that we share, as well as a birthday, is we both share um, a a sort of an illness, not sort of an illness, we share an illness that causes us to go into the tank quite often, or every so often, I should say. I shouldn't say quite often. For me, it's not that way anymore, but I don't, it gets better over time, yeah. especially with more acceptance, more people around you that know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You learn more through counseling and more things of how how to how to see what's going on, how to mm-hmm. be self-aware, um, what you need to do, even though when it happens, it's like mentally you know there are certain things you can do to, to help pull yourself out of the hole. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just choose not to do them, like you're yeah. just not ready. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the more times you go through the cycle, the more you learn about yourself yeah. and the more people you share it with that, mm-hmm. that know you and, and can be there for you mm-hmm. and can understand because it, it's very odd to other people to see, mm-hmm. um, to see that, that cycle. Like I'm, um, I'm kind of mildly bipolar, so mm-hmm. I have the, the manic and the depressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes those cycles can look very strange to people mm-hmm. um, going from the constantly moving, the very busy, the spending, the, the whole everything to the umpteenth degree mm-hmm. to, to the nothing, to just falling off the ledge one day and not wanting to leave your home, mm-hmm. not wanting to look at your phone, not wanting to engage, not wanting to eat, not wanting to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it looks to the outside world very strange. It's like you're just mm-hmm. there and then all of a sudden you disappear and then you kind of come back a different version of you know, the in-between mm-hmm. version of those two places. Yeah. So Yeah, the purgatory between, like, the depression and, the, like, the sanity, I guess. I don't know how else to describe that, but or maybe stability, right? That, that sensation that, I don't know about you, again, like, we both uh, live with this. So it's one of those, when you described it as, am I talking too loud, not loud enough? Good. Um, I feel like I'm reaching for the mic, and I almost, like, <laughs> I almost touched it. it with my mouth. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we we deal with you're just gonna have to picture that and see what it might look like in your mind um the, what i just did uh so talking about the um just how quick to fall off the ledge right and i think and i and i don't i don't in, expect people like who don't 
live with depression to understand it? I don't because I, I understand that unless you're in that, you can't really figure out what it's like, right? Like if a person's never had the greatest life on the planet but still can't get out of bed because there's just a part of their brain that doesn't recognize that. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, my life is so good. Yeah. And right? then you, and, and it's like, how do you explain to someone that even though everything is great, mm-hmm. you still feel this overwhelming sadness and disengagement from everything? Mm-hmm. And, and two, you know, the thing with mental health um, is they often intertwine, like depression and bipolarism mm-hmm. um, have strong links to addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there was back when we first dated, mm-hmm. I, I was quite un, I, I was more incapable of socially interacting without alcohol. Mm-hmm. And when I went to university, I quit drinking solid because mm-hmm. I knew I wouldn't be able to do it Yeah, um, if I didn't. And, you know, I quit for three years and then I learned how to have a drink. Mm-hmm. I, I learned how to interact with people socially without being drunk mm-hmm. because I didn't, I'd, oh, I'd just started drinking at such a young age. Mm-hmm. I had just been everything around me and I didn't, I didn't know how to be an adult and be social without alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also people that tend to go through these cycles are more prone to alcohol because of the extremism of your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Drugs and alcohol help you deal with mm-hmm. that. Um, so when you take that away, it's like a whole different way of managing your mental health. Mm-hmm. And it actually gives you the opportunity to to truly see it for what it is and have the ability to start to work towards a better life for yourself. Yeah. And it's hard to see it though when you're in it. No, no. Yeah. And you don't realize. And yeah. you know, like I've I've definitely had um I've had mental health issues in my family. Mm-hmm. Um and I I was proactive enough. I knew even in my twenties that yeah. I wasn't dealing with things well. I didn't know how to how to handle it and Mm -hmm. i went and saw lots of different counselors and stuff like that um i think it was really most of my progress was made when i started opening up to friends and family Mm -hmm. to say like this is what it is um first off you feel more you've shared it you also feel like now you there's more obligation to to be better to work harder on it because You've shared it with everyone now and, and I don't know how to put it. I always feel like once I say to someone what my goal is, I've said it out loud. So there's a lot more internal incentive for me to make sure that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, you know, you can reach out to people and say, this is what's going on and this is how I'm feeling and have them know how to, to treat you, know how to be around you, mm-hmm. know how to help you through that phase without mm-hmm. making you feel guilty or um lacking an understanding of what it is and thinking that it's something about them or that you're how can you not be happy like mm-hmm. come on you've got such a good life are you like what's wrong with you mm-hmm. and then they understand it's not it's nothing it's not a reflection of them and there is something wrong with you mm-hmm. and it's okay that there's something wrong with you like it's it's real mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a real disease people suffer from it you're not in control of it mm-hmm. and you're not you shouldn't be made to feel shame for it because mm-hmm. that makes the cycle even worse. Oh, much worse. Yeah, and it's, I don't know what it was like for for you as a as a female to talk to your family and your friends. As a guy, even though my close friends they know, right? 
but even then it's still hard to talk about it with them. When right. as a woman, you're it, there's a little bit more acceptance of being vulnerable, and that's mm-hmm. a little bit more something that you've been allowed to do in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, for men, you're, you're raised to not cry. You're raised to not like you're not supposed to feel. Mm-hmm. So to express something that uh, that's not a, some, an illness that people can see on you, express something that shows a level of vulnerability and 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 shows you as a human being with feelings mm-hmm. that don't fit into that archetype of you have to be the the post you have to be the strong and you, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to ever say you need help it would be mm-hmm. so much harder to to reach out and share that with people and ask for help mm-hmm. it's just it, it i i <laughs> as a woman you don't realize that you're expected to have feelings and you're expected to be vulnerable and mm-hmm. you know that doesn't always work in our favor but when you're talking about things about mental health and how you feel and everything it's it's more accepted um, it's it seems more normal to people um, there's a whole movement they talk about with men um, and I think it's called next gen men where it's like trying to say that you can be vulnerable as a man mm-hmm. you can have male friends that you talk to about your feelings and what's going on in your life and that's okay and it doesn't mean that you're not a masculine man it just means that you are a person and you're allowed to express all those sides of you mm-hmm. but that's you know still something that's up and coming in our society we still don't treat men with that same level of compassion mm-hmm. that's true and even men, even as a man i don't like I, I mean i'm guilty of it as well right like it's kind of like that socialization you're talking about is 100% accurate and it makes it even though like i mean for example like my bi- bisexuality right like talking about that yep with my male friends is difficult for me. It's not because I'm worried about what they're going to say or what they're going to think. It's got nothing to do with them. It's what that nagging statement in the back of my brain that says men don't do that. Yeah, that ingrained part of society that you've lived with that impacts how you interact with people. It impacts how you deal with things like um, being bi- um, being bisexual, mm-hmm. being a- an addict, being um, someone that suffers from mental health issues. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine how difficult it would be. And it's still even, although things are becoming more socially acceptable, we're still not there mm-hmm. yet. There's still a high level of criticism and a lack of understanding and misplaced hate out there. Mm-hmm. Totally. Hate is, it's, hate's a good word because I think it, come from fear, mm-hmm. right? Like people are afraid of this. They are afraid of like mental illness. They're afraid of the addiction thing. And the reason people are afraid of it is because it looks so unpredictable, right? And of course, we're humans. We like things to be predictable. That's how we feel safe. That's how we feel secure in our lives, right? When we think, okay, I can predict that I'm going to get paid on this day. There's my prediction. So I'll feel comfortable when I get paid on that day or whatever it is, right? We we construct our our things that make us feel better, right? And some of them inherently make us feel better, like getting paid. It feels good because lots of reasons. I like to live in a house, an apartment. I like to eat food and stuff like that. So, of course, it makes me feel good, right? But when we <clears throat> come upon those things as, as they are, I don't even know how we got on the subject. Seriously. Um... I need, like, brain food or something. Well, we were talking about, you know, sharing those things with people around you in your lives to try and create a level of acceptance and a space for to take the shame away from your Mm -hmm. illness. And then talking about how different that is for women than men. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, no, thank you for bringing me back. Because no as a preacher's kid, I can go all over the place and be like, yeah, see, I talk. <laughs> <laughs> I said stuff and things. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's about trying to make it easier for us to talk about it. And honestly, part of the reason or part of what makes it easier for me to talk with my male friends is when I can talk with my female friends about it, right? Because it, what it does, this is very strange. And it's probably going to sound weird. Um, but like whether it's a female friend or female colleagues uh, or Heather, who's my friend as well. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, I like her. She's all right. Um, <laughs> but it, my, it, talking about it with whoever, even in a professional capacity, makes it easier for me to then talk about in a social capacity, right? When it's relevant. So there's also a part of it that's like, well, when is it relevant to talk about this? Like my sexuality, for example, right? Sometimes it's not relevant at all in a conversation. Yeah, but if it's not relevant, you're probably not going to bring it up. Exactly, right? And it's the same thing with depression. You know, it's not something that, because one of the things I don't want to do is overshare about it to the point where, um, that's all there is because I recognize that's not all there is about me. I am not just a guy with depression and an addiction, right? Um, I'm, there's all kinds of stuff going on in there, right? Obviously most of it's awesome, but, um, some of it's probably crappy depending on who you ask. <laughs> well, these aren't things that define who we are. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're challenges for us, but you're right. I mean, it's not like I walk around every day talking about mental Ill health and mental mm -hmm. illness. Like it's just... It, you, you share it when it's the appropriate time and in mm -hmm. the right situation with people. And then, you know, if when it's relatable, when there's something going on, that's when you talk about mm -hmm. it. But it doesn't need to be how you define yourself. No, exactly. Right. And it doesn't and you don't want people to define you by that. You want mm -hmm. them to see it as, a, as something that is a part of you. It's mm -hmm. a challenge for you, but it's not who you are. Yeah. And if, if the only way for people who don't have mental illness or whatever um, to kind of I guess maybe understand it is just to imagine that you have no control over it, right? Trying to figure out a way to like make it a little bit easier for us not to judge each other, right? Is to make, and even myself judging, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not pretending that I don't judge. Um, we all do it. Yeah. But I, I, I do, I definitely try hard not to like act on those judgments or assume those judgments are true, right? It's just a matter of those the brain just starts constructing that stuff. So I can imagine if you don't have any experience or exposure, it probably looks like really crazy to you, right? To a person. Like it probably looks really crazy when uh, Mr. Depressive or bipolar or schizophrenic or whatever it is, when I try to tell you and express my feelings to you, but I can't do it properly because my brain doesn't allow me, so like, a, like with schizophrenia, so if someone's expressing and it comes across as quote unquote crazy, that's all a person sees. Yep. They don't understand that. Yeah, it appears crazy because it's irrational. And that's really what crazy means. It's just irrational and not able to use reason, right? Like, so you're, when we act out like that, that colors it with such a bad light too that we don't want to talk about it anymore, right? For sure. And... And it's also, I mean, you can't really start to recover or, or manage until you can let go of feeling like it's your fault. Mm -hmm. Because as long as you feel like you're a failure or it's your fault or 
any of those types of feelings of shame, then it just makes it worse. Mm -hmm. It's not until you can accept the fact that I may not, I'm, I may be embarrassed of how I behaved during that time period. I may not be proud, but it's not, it's not something that I chose to do. It's mm -hmm. just a part of how my, how my brain works. Mm -hmm. And, and then allow yourself to forgive yourself and not, and, and not go out and wait for everyone to forgive you. Because mm -hmm. I think also once you share, then people will judge you less mm -hmm. when it's happening. So you feel less shame because there's less people looking at you going, what the fuck is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Like, really, what's yeah. wrong with you? That's been my experience for sure. Yeah. And once so you can finally stop blaming yourself for it mm -hmm. um, and then you can help other people understand so that they aren't they're supportive instead of going, well, I don't want to be around that or mm -hmm. I don't understand what's going on. It makes a big difference. Mm hmm. Totally does. Makes a huge difference. It's like the talking about it like this or just in a day-to-day -day conversation is much better than trying to explain it when I'm freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's, that's what I learned anyway was like same with alcoholism, right? Like it's much easier if I'm with like new people in a situation that might be social or whatever. But if the subject of drinking comes up, it's always been easier for me just to simply say I can't drink. Well, it's been so long that you've been sober. I can mm -hmm. imagine there's a lot of, not a lot of people that ever knew you with a drink in your hand. Yeah, there's not. Yeah. There's lots of people that I know today very well that have never seen me drink. Right. And because most of the, well, like I said, there's you, there's Dominic. Um, and oh my goodness, is there only two? <laughs> there's gotta be three. No, Chris, don't hang out with Chris anymore. Oh. Yeah. Cause well, it just through recovery, like things happened. Yeah. Mm. It's yeah. just too bad how it went with Chris because I totally fucked that up too, right? Like it was it was my decision making in, in recovery. I just I made poor choices um at a time when I shouldn't have been making those choices. Well, you right? had a hard recovery. Like it wasn't you it was it was years grappling with with mm. it. And uh I don't know, like I just I I, I can only imagine how hard that would be and also like that you have to allow yourself forgiveness for things mm. that happened during that time period when you were learning how to mm -hmm. try to be a different person yeah and i i see i appreciate that i appreciate that so much and that's just so everybody knows that's how heather has always been to me right there if you if you want to try to figure out what she's like that's what she's like <laughs> kind well, you're you've just always been like a such a solid friend in my life mm. i can't imagine ever um like i, I just know who you are i know i know mm. that there's this this really good good person inside and you know behaviors aren't always like you can't judge people by their behaviors you have to judge them by who they are mm. and and to acknowledge the struggles people go through mm. and acknowledge that you know through struggle people are going to make decisions that may not be great they're mm. going to they're going to say things they may not mean. They're going to have difficulties. And you, mm -hmm. can't, you can't truly love someone without knowing who they are on the inside mm -hmm. and always just believing in that person. Mm -hmm. Like You're not just a summation of your actions. You are who you are. Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean, I, I agree with that, like totally, because it doesn't make us who we are. You're right? always, even like even back in the drinking days, you're always so honest about everything. Mm. I like, tried you, to be, but... Yeah, but, but you never... You said I was honest with her about everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, and sometimes you're just like, oh, why did you have to tell me? Yeah, why now are you talking to me? <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, that's just always been a part of who you are. Hmm. 
you 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 were never deceptive you wow. were never intentionally hurtful and and you never did anything without communicating uh, see I, I see those are some things i would forget because i was drinking lots but i'm glad you remember them i do yeah and that because yeah. that means a lot right because it was people like yourself um there's another lady in between there but she's i won't say her name just because it's not important. It's, well, it's important, but it's not relevant. Um, and then the Heather now have taught me, basically, I've only learned, well, not only, I can't say that. I've learned really valuable lessons about like love and how to love people from like three women, besides my mom, right, obviously. Right. And of course, like now in my life, there's wonderful women in my life. But for most of the last 20 years, there's been three extra ladies yourself the one in between and then heather now who reminds me of the same things you just said like all the time right well i think and i mean i and there's definitely things that happened in our relationship but i forgave you so so much further in advance than you ever forgave yourself the hardest part was to get you to forgive yourself because i had always forgiven you but you bore that guilt like you took that with you and, Mm -hmm. and you didn't forgive yourself no, I sure didn't. Yeah. I think what I've learned through knowing you now in sobriety for me, because things are a little clearer for me, right? Like mm-hmm. being able to look at things a little bit more, I guess it's just realistically, really, and look at it for what it was. Because what you gifted me with all of, with your forgiveness, right, was you gifted me an ability to see how it could be possible for me to forgive others too, right? And to get to come to a place where... Um, I just really recognized it when you and I started hanging out as friends again. Um, I just really recognized how, how important that is, right? To have people in, in our lives, especially because we all go through stuff, right? Like you've gone through stuff. I don't I have no idea how you quit drinking on your own <laughs> after all the drinking we did, but man, good on you. If anyone I know could do it, it would have been you if someone would have said. I still remember the night I was... I had my friend Joey in town who I'd grown up with and we always partied and drank together. And we've been out down in one of those bars on 8th mm. Ave, maybe even the Baron Kilt. Um, <laughs> Notorious. And, and we had just been partying. We'd met a bunch of people and we shut the bar down and got the, everyone left and we were, there was people driving and they were drinking and everyone ended up back at my apartment and it was like 6 a.m., and I realized that I had to be at the university that day to register and do everything at my student ID. And I looked around and I'm like, I don't even know these people. Like, what mm-hmm. What the hell? Like, what am I doing? And I threw everyone out. <laughs> Very efficiently. I was like, get out! <laughs> everyone out of my house! <laughs> and I had the worst hangover and I slugged it through that day. Mm-hmm. And, all, and I had to have my photo taken for my student ID. And all through university, whenever I thought about drinking, I could look at that photo of myself <laughs> on my student ID going, no, 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 she yeah. can't do this. She yeah. couldn't do this. Yeah. And, and that's, and I, and I knew, I just knew. I'm like, if I, I couldn't afford to drink and party, mm-hmm. I didn't no longer had time for it. And I had to make only friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot because I had no one to hang out with anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would read I would read endless books. I used to get them from uh, the bookstore Baskerville Books in Kensington. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one that was really nice. Yeah, I think I read every Margaret Atwood book, and I've been <laughs> author. And I just read and read and read and mm-hmm. study. And then eventually, I had friends that I'd met at the diner that were 
friends that I hadn't drank with. Mm -hmm. And then I started building a whole new group of friends. And then everyone there knew me as someone that didn't drink. So Mm -hmm. it was easier because people weren't offering it. Yeah. Yeah. And they would just want to do things with me that didn't involve Mm -hmm. alcohol. So and then one day I realized I'm like, you know, I, I, I can, I can find a middle ground Mm -hmm. and, and it took a while. It took a, a while to find a middle ground where I felt comfortable um, and I felt like I knew how to be social with and without alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew how to do fun things with and without alcohol and, mm-hmm. you know, and then I finished university. <laughs> so yeah. I'd met that big goal in my life. Yeah. It was interesting that going into land, being a negotiator that didn't really drink because a lot of the functions and stuff mm-hmm. were, there's a lot of alcohol served at them. Yeah. So I think as a woman, when you say, oh, I'm not drinking, people are like, hmm, maybe she's pregnant and I leave you alone. But with guys, <laughs> yeah. like to say I'm not drinking, I think you get a lot more questions. Sometimes. I mean, now, of course, people, wherever I happen to be, unless it's a brand new environment, but most of the time, most of the places I go to, people recognize that I don't drink because they know me or have heard of me and they know that I don't drink or whatever. But in the beginning, it was hard, right? Because there was no like... especially coming from where I was drinking with who I was drinking all the time. And I want to make sure I I say this just because I'm not close with some of the people I used to drink with doesn't mean they're bad people. No, there's there's things change. Things changed. Right. And it wasn't, and it wasn't about them anyway. It was about me and I needed to like get away from that. And so it really had nothing to do with them. I just wanted to make sure I pointed that out because I don't like nobody held me back. Like, you know, I held other people back for sure. Um, and, or at least I tried because <laughs> misery likes company. Um, but now uh, you were able to get through all the school and then figure out a way to moderate because maybe that was just what you needed to do, right? Like I, a- I needed to learn how to be responsible with alcohol. Mm-hmm. I needed, and I needed to learn how to be me. Yeah. And and to trust that I didn't need anything else to mm-hmm. be able to have fun and make friends and be because mm-hmm. a lot of it was self esteem. A yeah. lot of it was self esteem as a kid. Just you just drink because mm. then you don't have to worry about how you feel about yourself because you just get drunk and you don't feel anything. Yeah. And you're right about the people you're with. It's not when you're not friends with someone after you sober up that you were friends with before. I mean, you got to remember it's also awkward for them mm-hmm. because they haven't changed their habits and patterns, and you know. It's a struggle when you go through that and, and you're so much more exposed. It's like all of your pores are open, Mm -hmm. like everything impacts you so much more. And it's not that you said like, they're not bad people. Mm -hmm. You just, you lose certain things that kept you together, certain common items. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes that's it. Like I know I had a lot of friends that, you know, what we did was go and drink and party together. Mm -hmm. And when I sobered up, I did it very quickly and and probably in a very antisocial way. I probably alienated some of those relationships myself yeah. just because I knew I couldn't be around it and not want to do it. Yeah. And that's exactly where I was coming from because actually a couple of the guys that, that we used to hang out with and that I used to hang out with before I quit drinking, I had a great time with them. Like sometimes we'd have a great time, right? Yeah, absolutely. But the truth is it wasn't about them. It was about me and it's just about you, right? Like we, we each of us, and you made the decision to do that, you know, um, and to keep pushing forward. So, Ooh, dude, see, we're almost been an hour. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? It just goes by. We, we've talked, though. So um, I was going to ask you something else. I don't want to forget about it. Sorry, I'm referring to my notes. That's okay. 
Um, yes. Yes. Perfect. Well, now we can talk about your Christmas uh-huh. and what you and, and your partner Mike are going to do. Is it partner, boyfriend? Boyfriend, partner, boyfriend, whatever you want to call it. I okay. mean, I find that the titles are always strange. Your handsome fellow. Yeah, I'll often say partner just as like, it's, I think that people just say it more often now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's much more popular now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so this year we decided that we're going to start a Christmas tradition where we do something for charity every mm-hmm. year at Christmas. And this year we have chosen um, the Calgary Emergency Women's Shelter mm-hmm. as our charity of choice. And we are putting together a donation basket to bring in. I think it bring it in about five days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And we're just picking up items here and there as we go in our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And you're out doing your shopping and your Christmas shopping. And you can just, there's a list mm-hmm. of stuff that they need. They call it their essential list. Oh, cool. And, and you just pick up items off of it, like things that you wouldn't think of, like baby monitors, bus mm-hmm. tickets, clothing items of all different sizes yeah. for kids, for babies, for women, for teenagers. They have a whole, it's great. They have a list that gives you great outlines and guidelines to work with. And, you know, it's it's easy because you just pick up a few things here and there. It's not like um, mm. you're thinking about it and going out, you know, spending a couple hundred bucks on one shot. You're just slowly picking away at it yeah. and putting it together. And we've put it out to our friends on Facebook that if anybody would like to help, that they can um, just pick up any of these items in their day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And we will put their name on the donation and I'll come pick it up from them so they don't have to go out of their way to get it to me. I'll come mm-hmm. get it from them. And then I just thought, you know, if we open up to our friends, it gives other people opportunities to get involved with the charity and make mm-hmm. small donations. And, you know, the little things here and there that we don't think of, an extra $15 for you at the grocery store may mm-hmm. not seem like much, but that extra item in that basket will make a huge difference to a woman that has no clothes mm-hmm. and she's showing up with her children and has nothing and there's a a pair of leggings and a Mm -hmm. shirt and some underwear and stuff there that fits them that Mm -hmm. they can put on and have a change of clothes yeah like it's just it's so small the gestures you can do but the Mm -hmm. impact on the person that needs them is huge oh it's it's enormous it's almost immeasurable yeah and i just thought you know like everyone always thinks you know oh well you know i gotta get I got to make more money. I got to be better with money. I got to do all this. And I thought, but you know what? We're in a position where we have the ability to go out and just Mm -hmm. purchase these small little things that would make a difference to people. And Christmas is such a time of, of consumers and like shopping for gifts where you're basically, I often find you're just exchanging money with people. Mm -hmm. I, well, I mean, there are very thoughtful gifts, but there's a lot of times where it's just money money um and i'd i wanted to do something that made me feel like christmas was about something more than Mm -hmm. just a celebration and parties and fun and family that it was an opportunity that i could use to do something kind for someone else Mm -hmm. and and then it just makes i don't know it's just simple things like that that just make you feel better every day that you know that you're you're trying to help Mm -hmm. because i know so many people that have needed help you know, the women's shelter was a choice for me because um, there's a period in time in my sister's life that they took care of her. Mm-hmm. And I always remember that. So when I was trying to think of where we would make a decent impact at some place that we'd start for this year, mm-hmm. that was my first thought, my first place that I thought, no, I'd like to do them. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
If you're interested in giving to the Calgary Women's Shelter, it's www.calgarywomensshelter.com. That's www.calgarywomensshelter.com. Yeah, and they're great. They do. You can do the donations of, of money. You can do donations of the mm-hmm. essentials. They do a toy drive every year where you can bring in toys. There's a few places around the city that you can drop them off, and then they mm-hmm. have toys for the kids at the shelter on Christmas. So there's lots of different ways to donate. Mm-hmm. Um, they make it really easy. And, you know, you, they said that, he said there was like 200 women and 230 kids, something like that, mm-hmm. a year that stay in the shelter. And you think yeah. that's a lot of people that, sure is. you know, need to close and all these things that you can't reuse. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing, too, is that the donations have to be new. You can't mm-hmm. donate used products okay. um, just because, you know, if you're wanting yeah. to show up at a shelter and put on a fresh pair of clothes and a toothbrush, you're mm-hmm. hoping that nobody else used them first. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think like, because uh, I've been working in shelters, well, I was working in shelters for a long time. And what you're describing is important. So, now, it's not because the shelters are ungrateful and that they don't want the clothes. I can assure you. I, what it is, is that it creates extra cost that the shelters can't afford to clean the clothes. Right. So when you, if you, do, if you're donating clothing or items that are uh, material fabric like that, then I think, I think most places want it new. And the reason they want it new is not because they're greedy. I assure you it's not because they're greedy. It's because they, they can't afford to wash everything that comes through the door. That makes a lot of sense. Right. Too. Um, and there's all kinds of things. Not that you wouldn't, anyone would intentionally pass along, say bed bugs right? Nobody would intentionally pass that along. However, having worked in a family shelter for a long time in my beginning of my career, it happens. It just happens. And that's why I am assuming, and I don't know because I haven't spoken to the other shelters, but I'm assuming most of them are probably accepting new stuff, right? And I just wanted to explain, it's not because they're greedy. And there's definitely places to donate gently used items just for this specific thing that we're doing, the essential list, they they need them to be new items. Totally. And some places don't, right? And that's cool. It's it's whatever that that, uh, group can afford to do and is in their policies and stuff. So thank you. No, no worries. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks Um, for getting the message out. Oh yeah, you're welcome. And I got to tell you, if you are thinking of donating somewhere this year, um, for Christmas, which is a great idea. Um, just so you know, if you're only able to give a t-shirt, like a new t-shirt or 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever it is that you can give, understand that that does make a difference. Absolutely. Because I've been with families at Christmas when they get their hampers and they look at each thing and they are just blown away and they're grateful and they love it. So if you've never heard anything back from someone that you've donated to i can assure you that they loved it and that they appreciate it the that fact that people do that right i've always been one to share that calgary is probably one of the most generous cities that i've ever well it's one of the it's probably the most generous i've ever been in in terms of how calgarians not just like social services stuff but how individual calgarians like the three of us how we engage with trying to help others I mean, I'm I'm lucky too. The company I work for, Canadian Natural Resources, they're great. Mm-hmm. They work with United Way, and they do tons of work with United Way throughout the year. And then at Christmas, we do the Adopt Senior mm-hmm. and Adopt a Family. So um, I'm managing a group. We're doing. We've adopted a senior, and another gentleman that I work with, he's managing. They've done a Adopt a Family. So I've mm-hmm. 
given him money for that one. And then people have been helping contribute to the senior and we go out and do all the shopping and mm -hmm. put everything together. And it's part of CNRL's program. Like they, they encourage, they match donations, they encourage participation, mm -hmm. they give people time off work to go and engage with the United awesome. Way and, and take part in the fundraising. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's nice to be in a work environment that, ex that supports it as well. Yeah. And That's we don't fantastic. realize that we can make such a, a difference to people. Like yeah. Small things, like you said. I mean, 20 bucks, you may not think that's a big deal. But when you throw $20 in, and that's one more gift that goes into a basket of, for a family that mm -hmm. doesn't get a Christmas without your help, yeah. it makes a huge difference. Huge, because you're right. What you just said, they may not have a Christmas without our help, right? And I mean, the, the truth is, that's not my fault, not your fault, not Darcy's fault, not anyone's fault. But it is the way it is. Why can't we just try to help them? We don't have to ask why they can't afford it. Let's just help them anyway. <laughs> Besides. Yeah. And I mean. Cares why they can't afford it. <laughs> the whole point is just to, to make someone's life better. That's and it. It's, and it's not about judging why yeah. they're in that situation. Um, because the, it's not our place to judge. Mm -hmm. We do it naturally, but it's not our place to judge. And, you yeah. know, we've had advantages and opportunities in our life that have led us to be in a position where we don't need financial mm -hmm. assistance elsewhere. Yeah. But. Some of that is just dumb luck. Absolutely. Some of that is, is stuff that you had no part in. You had, you were lucky you were raised in a house where your family, your parents had the money to put you into a good school and mm -hmm. give you a good start. And not everyone has that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a nice opportunity to have. Like it's a wonderful opportunity. It's also okay to have that opportunity and then help someone else have a similar experience, mm -hmm. right? Like in some way, not necessarily school, but that helping other people, honestly, of all my years working with humans, like the most um, common thread of people who find their like peace of mind and a little bit of happiness in life is when they can give back to, to other people, right? It makes such a difference. Huge difference, right? So good. Thank you very much. Oh, no. Thank you for, for bringing it up, for allowing me to share that. Um, and honestly, I mean, you're probably one of the people that I've watched do the, the most, have the most generosity. Mm. You've always been involved, you know, when we first started dating, you were working in the shelters and stuff like mm -hmm. that. You've always been involved in charity and helping others. Mm -hmm. And yeah. sometimes much to her chagrin. I remember one time, I just remember this one time and we'll, we'll close with this story. If it's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, just cause I know we're over an hour now. Uh, not that it matters to you. I know. But, uh, so one, I was still drinking back then, of course, obviously, cause I used to drink all the time, but I was. You were at the Salt Lick, mm -hmm. remember? Yeah. Do you remember that when I showed up with a friend of mine from the street who was actually homeless? Yeah. And we were on the patio. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I remember thinking, not not at the time, because at the time I was just so happy to see my friend and we were both drinking. I wasn't even drunk, but he was hammered. And I remember you were so freaking nice to him <laughs> that, and I'm like, hmm, this is why she's nice to me because she's a nice human. Anyway, I was like, this is really weird because he was starting to get annoying. Right. He's my friend. I invited him and I bought him the extra beer. And I remember that, but you were so kind. And then finally I had to tell him to beat it. But the thing is that I, I knew that you, you would in the end, if, if he didn't know when the appropriate time to leave, mm -hmm. I knew that you would let him know. And he was enjoying an experience. How often would he get to go out and have lunch at the Salt Lake yeah, and, and have, have someone buy him lunch and a beer? Like yeah. let him have that experience so what is a bit annoying if mm. he was annoying i don't specifically remember him being annoying i, I mean i'm assuming because we were both drinking so we were probably both annoying <laughs> yeah but i mean so what he gets to have an experience that he wouldn't normally have and let mm. him enjoy it 
Yeah. You know, if, if, there, if people were kind of coming up and complaining, then there would be maybe a different story. But I don't mm-hmm. remember having any complaints. Yeah, I don't either. And I just remember it being like, it was so nice of you. And he felt so good. Okay. And I felt so good. And the reason I felt good was not because you felt good or he felt good. It was just because, like, I felt like this is how it should be. Just everybody just hanging out, talking to each other. There was a part of me that felt that way, like it didn't matter. But downtown, when I was working in the shelters, we got so much discrimination, right, from all the guests. So everywhere they went, they were getting, like, discriminated against. So when he came and sat with me, there was more to it for him, right? And there was, there was a lot more to it for him. Like it, it helped shift his perspective like a little bit, right? Because first of all, he, re- he realized that I was just a human being. Yeah. Like even though all he ever saw of me was in the office at the shelter where I was like telling people what was what. But there we were like, yeah, we're just buddies. Yeah, and, and you were, got- Yeah, and you were his buddy too. And he probably wouldn't, if he'd walked up to a patio like that anywhere else and gone to sit down, people wouldn't have given him the time of day. But there he got to sit down and be a customer and be treated well and mm-hmm. have a good meal and and be made to feel like he's just a normal person mm-hmm. not some homeless guy yeah, because he is just a normal person right yeah you and i we could easily see that but i mean the the, the amount of the amount of discrimination that lots of different communities face on a daily basis is like it's discouraging right like it so in respects to that, I remember that story because I remember the smile on his face. That's why I told the story. Yeah. It's because I remember the smile on his face because um, it was just so real. He was so happy. He was like, seriously, because I never thought of him any different than just a person and a person that I had to help find a bed, that's all, um, or a place to sleep. But yeah, it was just, it was so cool to, um, yeah, anyway, because I, 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 I just always knew you were a good person, a good Aww. human. Yeah. So you gave me lots of opportunities to be a good person. Oh, yeah, I sure did, because eh? I was such a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You actually, you walked right into that one. But that was perfect. <laughs> yeah, I did. I gave you lots of opportunities to practice being a saint. That's not how I meant it, <laughs> but <laughs> well, it's funny, too, as you think about it, because you actually knew the person. You'd spoken to him. Most people mm. wouldn't even take the time of day to speak to a homeless person. Mm. And, you know, there's lots of stereotypes Um and, and sometimes it's difficult because people want to, they want, they, they want to help, but they're scared of, or they get mm-hmm. angry at, or they have stereotypes in their head about it. And mm-hmm. then they just don't, they just yeah. walk away. Yeah. And the truth is I had it beaten into me, man, by my mom and dad, like my well, you folks, have great parents, right? Like yes. they're fantastic people. And they just, since the time we were kids, man, we were told like you will help other people like this is, and not like they're going to whip us and make us do it but by their actions we they there taught was, you generosity they, they taught did. you charity they taught they taught me because i did not come by that on like on my own that was like a gift from two of the most loving human beings that i've ever met right like my parents and um like they they just kept helping people didn't matter how many times they got screwed they just kept helping people Right. Well, like, that's the thing too about being charitable is you can teach other people. They can watch you do it, and even if it doesn't change their mind that day or that second, you know, you you, you hope that through example mm-hmm. you can help other people find ways to be more charitable, to make mm-hmm. it more palatable for them, to make it something that's accessible, mm-hmm. and, and to make it something that they realize how good it makes them feel. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly it: how good it makes a person feel, and not just like in that moment that clickbait kind of feeling where you're like, okay, I feel better. Right. But the, the, the feeling over time, 
that starts to change humans when we help each other, right? Like, and I've seen that. 100% guarantee it works like that. Like if if humans can just give to each other, oh lordy, we feel so much better. Yeah. We got no we got less reason to fight, we got less reason to do all kinds of other shit when we can just be busy helping, right? So anyway. Yeah. That's thank great, you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're the best. I I can't believe you wore a sweater cuz I was hope I was imagining you showing up tattoos all showing <laughs> and like all the, you know all it's the winter, ink. right? <laughs> I know it's winter. I know. It's like, um, yeah, she's got as much ta- many tattoos as I do. Yeah. I didn't just show up wearing a sweater. I brought one for a blanket and I had yeah. socks in my purse in case I got cold. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're like a girl in good shape and we don't like we don't feel the cold. Like, yeah, Darcy and I are like, yeah, I'm always hot. It's just the way it is. You walk around in shorts in winter. Right. I walk around yeah. in two pairs of pants. Last time I we went for a walk and yeah. you were wearing shorts. <laughs> I know, because we were like, well, I'm a big dude, man. I can I can handle it. Yeah. But now I'm feeling a little bit more of the cold as I get older. <laughs> yeah, that kind of happens. We're not quite as, as um, how do you put it? Tough. Tough or, or dumb or. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe dumb. Maybe a little bit like more ignorant of the fact that if I'm warm, I probably won't get as sick. It's <laughs> <That's> a nice <laughs> thing. Right, yeah. Um, so anyway, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure to be here. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Seriously, thank you. We would like to remind you that the opinions shared are those of the individuals and not representative of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other affiliation we may share with organizations or individuals. Thank you, Wild Rose United Church, for your open-hearted giving to the community at large in a multitude of ways. You have graciously provided space and love for us to work within, and we cannot thank the staff, volunteers, and members of the church enough for all that they do each and every day. Thank you again, Darcy Robinson. As usual, your work is incredible. Thanks for donating it to us. I am not here without each of our board of directors, Trent Baker, Todd Deer, Christine Pimiskern, Heather Morijo, Wayne Lurie, and John James. To all of the individuals who graciously donate their money and time to helping Freedom's Path become a society and now a charity, thank you. Who is Freedom's Path? We work directly with individuals and families struggling and suffering from, with addiction of all types, mental illness, codependency, and a multitude of difficulties humans bring forward as they attempt to make life-altering changes. If you are interested in attending our upcoming or future groups, being a guest on the podcast, or looking to make a donation or help in some other way, please contact us through our website, www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca, or find us on Facebook at Freedom's Path Recovery Society. If you are close to giving up, regardless of what your difficulty might be, please reach out to someone. You can always give up tomorrow, or maybe you won't have to. To anyone listening, imagine that your voice might be the only one someone hears inside their darkness. What is it you would like to say? As for me, I'm David Lurie, and I wish you all the best, wherever you are. Be safe and try to have some fun, because our time here is quite limited after all.